Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church. What does church mean to you? We believe the church on earth is a spiritual family with a mission. These four weeks, we're talking about Grace Life Vision, what Grace Life is all about, so that you can know that Grace Life is your church. So let's know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world, and together be a part of my church. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? So good to see you and be worshiping with you. Hey, I want to take a moment and welcome our guests, those who are worshiping with us for the first time, wherever you are, uh, on the internet or right here in the room. Would you guys put your hands together and help me welcome our guests. We're so glad to have you guys. Hey, before we get into the message, I want to point out that next worship weekend for us is going to be Labor Day weekend. And traditionally, especially as close to the beaches and mountains as we are, uh, some of you like to go on a little holiday, and so that's understandable. So we just want to take a moment and remind you that we have the first service of our weekend Thursday evenings at 645 right here in the building. So if you are going to be at the beach on Sunday, don't lie to yourself and say, honey, we'll just catch it on the internet. You're not. You're going to be sleeping in or playing in the sand. So just go ahead, join us right here Thursday night, 645. Well, hey, we're in a series. Uh, if this is your first time, we're actually on part three of a series we've been doing. Don't worry, you can catch it all online if you've missed any of it. And the series is called My Church, What We're All About. And uh, we're simply trying to talk about who we are as a church and how we do church so that we can be an effective church. I think that's pretty important, don't you? And, uh, you know, we've said that what we understand about how to do church will determine what we're all getting out of it if we understand how we do what we do. And last week I gave you an illustration of if you were staying at a bed and breakfast and you didn't know how they did something, you may miss out on it. Well, this week I'm going to give you a true story, and uh, this actually happened. My wife and I were staying at a vacation resort, and we were in Mexico a few years ago, and uh, it was a large resort with a bunch of different buildings and uh, different restaurants and everything, and so we were at a building that was right in front of the beach, and so uh, we just thought that was gorgeous. We went down to the beach the first morning, uh, palm trees and and a cabana, and it was just great. So we sat down in the cabana, and we saw the palm trees, and and we just had a great time uh, sitting there and, and enjoying the view. And at some point, we decided we would go out into the water and very quickly discovered that this was not a beach with, that you could do barefoot. There, there were like these horrible rocks, maybe a coral reef or so, I don't know. I mean, you had to wear flip-flops if you wanted to go into the water. And if you tried to swim, you would suddenly kick your feet into one of these rocks or your knee into one of these rocks. But they had hammocks out in the water where apparently you were supposed to actually venture past these horrible rocks and get in these hammocks. And we thought, well, you know, that's not a big deal because we'll just wear flip-flops out to the hammocks. And so every day we would leave our room and we would come down and get our cabana. We would enjoy the view. On occasion, we'd put on our flip-flops and make our way out to one of the hammocks in the water. And on our very last night there, we said, hey, why don't we like take a walk and see more of this resort? And sure enough, as we took a walk around the other buildings we had never walked around, There was another beach, like a big beach, and it was a sandy beach that they had filled where you could walk all the way out, and you could swim all the way out, and you could have floats that didn't pop on the sharp, jagged rocks and everything else. And and don't misunderstand, we had a great time, had a great vacation, uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of the whole point. 
but we didn't get to swim because we didn't understand how they did the swimming beach at this resort. And, and so look, yeah, I hope you see the parallel right up front. We want to talk about how we do church so that you don't miss out on something you need by, by thinking, well, we just don't do that here, or we don't do what, what you're wanting to get from God. So as we're doing this each week, I told you I'm always going to uh, start off by giving you a real quick rundown of the four points of our vision and where they came from in the Bible. And then each week we're going to talk about one in detail. And, and so, as I said, four points, I want to remind you, there are four points to our vision, and that's because there is more to church than coming into this room. There is more to church than Sundays is the way we used to say it, even though that's kind of evolved. But there's more to church than a worship service. And so the four points of our vision actually come from Ephesians 1. It's a prayer that Paul prayed over a church he was working with. It's going to be right here on the screen. It's not our main passage. So real quickly, he says, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The first part of our vision is to know God. We want people to know God personally, and we want people to know God deeply. We want people to know that Jesus Christ came, he gave his life for them, and we want them to experience that forgiveness, that gift of salvation. But then every time that we come together to worship, we also want uh, each of us to grow more uh, deep, deep, more deeply, deeper. There you go, South Carolina education at its finest. Uh, but to grow deeper in our knowledge of him and in our faith. He goes on to say that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. For us, this is about finding life. You see, the eyes of your heart, the Bible calls heart our, our soul. It's talking about what's going on inside of us. And the eyes of our soul means that everything that happens around us, every relationship, every person, every experience, we see not through these eyes, but we see it through our hurts and our wounds, our victories, and everything is affected by that. Jesus said, I came that you'd have abundant life. We want to do more than suffer our way to heaven. We want to experience some of that abundant life while we're here on earth. He goes on to say that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Uh, this is the third part of our vision, which is to make a difference. You see, he did make you for something. He has called you for something, and you have great hope for your life. And when we discover that and start living for that purpose, we will never be the same. We're going to talk about that in depth today, so we'll come back in a minute. And he finishes his prayer with saying so that you would know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is the fourth part of our vision to reach our world. Because very simply put, if you have discovered the glorious inheritance of the saints, if you have seen the power of God move in and through your life, then the first thing we should want to do is say, hey, everybody else, you're missing out on the greatest gift of God. And so, look, if you missed part one in Knowing God, where we talked about our goals for worship services, which, by the way, is far more than either sit at home or come into this room and then check a box and say, I did it. Our, our goals go far beyond that. We want people to know God personally and deeply. If you missed part two, which was finding life, and that is where we declare we're going to be a church family who shares life together. We do life together. And uh, if you missed either of those two, go back and get them because I think they're very important for helping you understand which beach is for swimming and which beach is for looking at because it is pretty. Uh, but anyway, uh, today we're going to go on and talk about the third part of our vision, which is to make a difference. And uh, I used to be a youth pastor for a long time. And also while I was a youth pastor, I was a, a middle and high school teacher. And I, I saw something that was really very universal. And I, I think most of us have experienced, some of us are experiencing it right now. And as a youth pastor, people would always come up to me, students would come up and say, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I want to know what God wants for me. 
And one reason that they're saying that is because they want to be on the right path. But the other reason they're saying it is because they know God's path is a meaningful path. That, that it's not just going to be morally right if they're doing what God wants for them, but it's going to make a difference that at some point in their life, they're going to look back and see that they have changed the world because of what they've done. And the thing is that even outside of youth, when I would go to high school and teach, I was getting the same question. Like, man, I just don't know what I should do with my life. I just don't know what I can do that'll make a difference. And this wasn't even in church, and people would use words like that because I think every single one of us wants to look back at some point in life and go, that was a good life. That made a difference. That changed the world. Uh, sadly, though, as we get older, I, I see this question get asked a lot less with adults. And some of us have just kind of reserved ourselves at a certain point in time uh, that we don't worry about it so much anymore. We're not even, uh, you know, chasing after the idea of making a, a difference. And one of the students that I worked with, uh, his, he, man, he was on fire with light. He was excited. He couldn't wait to conquer the world. Uh, he believed he could do anything. He believed he would do great things. Uh, and I said, so what do you want to like, actually do? Like, what's one of your goals? And one of his goals was to become governor. He was determined that he was going to become governor. Unfortunately, whatever some of the choices were that he made didn't put him on a path to become governor. Uh, he, he's still alive and, and could still change his path, but at the moment, he never became governor. He never really took any step that would get him along that way, and uh, as a result, he's, he's a rather unhappy person. He's not the, the kid that I knew 20-something years ago, and he's, he's not exuberant about life. He, he's not excited about much of anything, and I, I think one of the reasons for that is because we connect making a difference to position or career. And, you know, we think if somebody says, man, I'm making a difference, we think they're the general of the army or we think that they're the CEO of a company or they started their own business or they're president, governor, senator or whatever. We, we think that we've got to have some sort of career marker or position that says we can make a difference. And what I want to tell you uh, today and what this whole message is based on, I'm going to show it to you in the Bible in a minute, is I, I don't believe, because I don't believe, the, I believe the Bible actually teaches the opposite. I believe the Bible teaches that uh, a great and meaningful life does not come from position and career, but it comes from who God has made you to be. Making a difference is, is what is inside of you. And so uh, what I want to do today is, is show you a story of uh, really one of the heroes of our faith who believed he could make a difference and actually did make a difference. And honestly, in a, a slightly bizarre way, it's a guy named Nehemiah. I'm sure uh, many of you have heard of Nehemiah. Yeah, look, he, he's just a great character. You could preach so much about Nehemiah, you could do a whole series on him. I actually have. And most pastors that I know have preached a series on Nehemiah because he's so inspiring. And we don't have time for all of Nehemiah's story today. We're only going to look at one thing that he believed deeply and, and said out loud, and it, it changed kind of how I look at what I think we're called to do on the earth. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah 6, for those of you that are following along right uh, at the beginning. Um, but before we do that, let me give you a little backstory, uh, because there's a good bit that has happened. So we go back real quickly, as, as, I can, as fast as I can do this. The Israelites, at one point in history, had been conquered by the Babylonians, just as much of the world had been. And so when that happened, many of the Israelites were carried off to be servants or slaves. The walls around Jerusalem were destroyed. The temple, the great temple that had been built by Solomon, that it was just an amazing story of dedication, and God filled the temple with a cloud. The temple was gone. It was destroyed. Many of the homes had been destroyed. The people 
Most of them had been carried off as either slaves or servants, and the few that had remained had run off on their own because it was not a good place to live. And so Nehemiah has found himself in the king's court. He actually has a position as being the cupbearer to the king. And so at some point, though the Babylonians have been conquered themselves and and other people have come along and and been in charge, and, and they've allowed some of the conquered people to go back home. So people have gone back to Israel, and true to what you would expect of the people of God on the earth, the first thing they said is, we've got to rebuild our temple And so they did. They rebuilt the temple, and uh, it was not quite as impressive as the one that had been destroyed. And they thought that everything would be restored as soon as they had the temple. But they were wrong, because life didn't go back to what they thought it was going to go back to. And so eventually, word gets back to Nehemiah. uh, Well, yeah, there's a temple, but uh, things aren't happening the way you think they should be happening. Matter of fact, there are no walls at all around Jerusalem. Nehemiah uses his influence with the king to get permission to go back and lead the project of rebuilding the walls. That's where we're going to pick up the story. In verse 1 at the beginning of chapter 6, he says, Look, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies. And so look, that's all you need to know about these characters. They were the enemies. They were opposed to the success of Israel. They were opposed to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And they were opposed to anybody that tried to help make that possible. It says, so when the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Look, he's given us the details. Like the whole wall is done, man. The gates are done. There's just no doors and the gates yet. That's how close we are, which got his enemies' attention because when those doors are up, they can shut people out. So Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, hey, come and let us meet together. But they intended to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. Why why should I stop this great work while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same way four times. I ain't got time for you because I am doing a great work. And he just kept saying that. I'm doing a great work. How many of us would say that about our own lives? I'm telling you what, I wish that every single one of us could see ourselves that way. I hope that by the time we're done this way today, that many of you are going to see yourselves differently. And I hope that you're going to look at your enemy and hold your head high and say, I ain't got time for you. We're Southern because I am doing a great work. And that is my goal for today. Because look, I want you to not miss something. As we talk about some of our Bible heroes, sometimes we talk about David. Well, again, David was a king, and, you know, we get caught up again into the career and position thing. But Nehemiah wasn't building a temple. Nehemiah wasn't preaching a sermon. Nehemiah wasn't leading a worship session. Nehemiah wasn't hosting a youth camp where a hundred teenagers gave their life to Jesus. Nehemiah was building a stone wall. He was just building a wall. And most of us look at our lives and say, but I am just, and fill in the blank. But what we miss is what Nehemiah saw. And that was that his wall made everything possible. Yeah, they had rebuilt the temple, but there's a reason that nobody was really there. Because first of all, their faith had been affected by the wall. You see, when the walls are torn down and the city is destroyed and you're supposed to be the people of God on planet Earth, all of your enemies 
all of the people that for centuries have either feared you or hated you look at you and go, ha, look, where's your God now? Must not be a very impressive God. He couldn't even protect you. Or maybe your God who could protect you just don't like you no more. So their faith was derided by everyone around them. And they were afraid to be passionate and excited about their faith. Matter of fact, for 70 years, they didn't even have a temple to worship and they didn't care to do anything about it. The people who stayed there just hid in their homes. And it wasn't until eventually some came back to build it. But again, their faith had been severely damaged. Their community life was affected by the wall. Because you see, what happens is when the wall is down, no one in the city is safe. And when an invading army comes, they're going for the crowded center first. They go for the city, which means the best place for you to live is not in the city. And so whoever was left behind has now moved out. They've moved into neighboring villages or into the countryside so that they could see the army go and they could run the other way faster. So their friends are gone. They live isolated in order to stay away from everyone. Their security was affected by the wall. With no wall, people can come and do anything anytime they want. You rebuild the temple, show up for it, and all the people who hate your God and your religion are gonna come burn it down again and you could be inside. Everything was affected by the wall. The question is, do you see that everything that God has put in you is valuable? Do you see your gifts and do you see serving the same way? Would you say that you're doing a great work with whatever God has put inside of you? If you say no, well, it could be because I think we still give too much emphasis to the stage, whether it's the stage of life, looking at CEOs and generals and presidents, or if it's the stage of church. I'm going to tell you the truth, the same thing happens in the church. We look and go, well, you know, the people who are really making a difference, you know, Jimmy said so many people got saved last week. Well, he's the one that gave the invitation. He's the one that makes a difference. And I would say no. Or we'd say, man, did you experience that worship? You know, let's, let's all just bow down and worship Greg. That was amazing. And, and we miss what God is doing through each of us. And we create this idea that, that the person doing a great work is standing on this stage and everybody else is just watching that happen. And it creates a great divide, sadly, has existed forever. I was about to say for about 2,000 years, but it's actually existed forever. And that is that there is a difference between those who do ministry and those who just come and see the others do ministry. We miss out on what God has put in us. But this is not what God intended. This is never what God, I mean, this is, look, this is why Jesus, when he came, he did not choose any trained religious leader of the day. And think about it. I know if you've ever read any of the stories he, he debated with, the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees, they were all the religious leaders, and they were you know, kind of corrupt. And so you'd say, well, the reason he didn't choose any of them because they were all bad. Probably so, except I, I personally just think by, by sheer population, there had to be one, just one, good-hearted, young man, priest in training, who still had faith in God. I mean, there had to be one, you know, just, just one. In all of Israel, of God's people, there had to be just one, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know his name. He's not in the Bible. So give me a little, little leeway here. But I, I, I had to believe there's one good-hearted person. And Jesus didn't choose him. Jesus chose fishermen and, and accountants. Bad accountants, by the way. Crooked accountants. Jesus chose people who simply would use whatever God had already put in them to do something to change the world. He used the most ordinary people who were willing. 
And the question that we have to answer is, is that me? Am I willing to be one of those incredibly ordinary people? But I think one of the key reasons that we don't make the difference that we want to is because of the lies of the enemy. And that's exactly how the story keeps going. So in verse five, we see in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time, man, this guy won't give up, will he? He sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and in it was written, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. And I just think that's the funniest thing. Ooh, Geshem says it too. Well, you know, we're all worried. It's kind of like modern day, you know, oh, Kanye said it. We've all got to believe it, right? You know, okay, so Geshem says it. Everybody better believe it. I thought that was funny. And he says, look, here's what it says, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you, Nehemiah, even wish to become their king. And you've even set up prophets to go around and proclaim that you are going to be king in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. This is what you're trying to do. And you know what? The king that gave you permission to come, he's going to hear He's going to hear that his little cupbearer is over here trying to become his own king because he got tired of drinking all of your wine first to make sure that you didn't die. So he has decided to be his own king. It would be a very believable story. And you know what they said to him? So now come and let us take counsel together because you know the king's on his way to deal with you. You better come on down and let's finally talk. And then I sent to them saying, no such things as you have said have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. Lies. All lies from an enemy with one goal, to instill enough fear that the work would stop. Did you guys already make that parallel? That's exactly what you and I face today. We have an enemy who wants to come to us filled with lies and tell you things about your value that are not true. Oh, you know, God could never use you. Man, don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you used to do? Man, if everybody else knew what you did, they wouldn't even let you in the door. You better just get in there, sit down on the back row, be quiet, and don't even think about believing you could be used by God. Seriously, no the enemy comes up and lies to you about your motive. Look, the only reason you do some of the things you do is so that people will notice you, think you're special, and, and all get all important. You know, the only reason you do some of the things you do is because you want people to think you're spiritual or whatever. You know, you're just doing all this to be fake. The, the enemy shows up and he lies. The enemy shows up and he lies to you about your acceptance with God and how much God loves you. Oh, you, God, don't listen to that. You should hang your head in shame. Don't you dare try to step out and do something that would affect another person's life. He's been doing it since the beginning. He's a liar. The Bible tells us he's a liar. We have an enemy who wants us to believe something about us that is not what God says about us so that we will not do what God has put in us. And so let me show you what God says about you. Matter of fact, this one verse that I'm about to share with you is the core truth from the Bible of why we believe making a difference should be a part of what we do. And it comes out of Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Did y'all get that? Created for good works. We 
are his workmanship. That means uniquely, individually crafted by God. If we go back to the original language there, it's not talking about, you know, God mass-produced humans and you're one of them. That's not the word that would be used there. This is saying that God said, I'm going to make Bernie. And God said, I'm going to make David. And each of us is very uniquely made to be us. And before you were ever born, before you ever did one thing, good or bad, on the earth, he had already put inside of you everything you needed to do a great work, to be able to say, I don't have time to come down from being the person God's called me to be. That was in you before you were born. We miss that sometimes. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could actually walk in them. One of the side effects of knowing that we are saved by grace is sometimes since we know, well, I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I'm not saved by the works I do. I'm not saved by the amount of money I give or the number of times I serve. Since I'm not saved by works, then I don't do any works. But here's a very important truth we need to believe. We may not be saved by good works, but we are fulfilled by good works because this is who God made you to be. And when we are not the person God made us to be, when we're not doing what God put us on the earth to do, we think life is meaningless. And that's what happens when we think that life just becomes about go to work, get a paycheck, survive to heaven. That's not why God left us here on earth. He left us here to make a difference. Now, if you were created for good works, then we should be able to believe it. And we should be able to believe we are doing a great work. Every one of us should be able to hold our heads high and say, I'm doing a great work. I don't have time for your lies. I don't have time to be distracted. I'm doing something that is important. But if you don't think you are, then, well, it might be because you simply don't believe it, and it might be because you simply are not. And I want to take a moment and just talk to each group, because let me explain. A lot of us are going to fall into one of those two groups. They're the group of us who, well, we're doing some things, but unfortunately, the enemy whispers, and we're not really sure that it matters. And sometimes we consider giving up on doing things that, that matter because well, the lies come. And then there are those of us, well, we just aren't really making a difference, and that's because we maybe gave up trying long ago, or maybe we've become focused on something else, or maybe we just don't feel worthy. And I want to talk to that group first. Maybe it's you're busy with life. Maybe you've just decided there's nothing in you. Maybe you've just become focused on you. Maybe you believe God actually cannot or will not use you, and that's become everything to you. But I want to remind you what we just read a minute ago, before the foundation of the world. Before. Matter of fact, let me add that to another passage that says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He died for you before you did anything good. He died for you before you said you would be a Jesus follower. He died for you out of his love for you before you had ever earned anything. And you'll never earn anything worthy of his death on the cross, by the way. That was what he did for you. And we need to look at what God has put in us through the exact same lens. He didn't put good works in you to do. He didn't put talents and gifts in you to do those good works only if you're a good person. He put them in you because your life matters. Once you figure out who God is and what he's doing in your life, it's not about being a perfect, holy little person who never makes a mistake again. No, it's about doing what he's put inside of you. You don't have to be qualified to be who God made you to be because God redeems his people to do great works. Now, let's talk about some of God's people that he redeemed to do great works. How about King David? 
And we love King David. He wrote some of our Bible. He qualified to write the Bible, evidently, and wrote a lot of Psalms. But he was a murderer and an adulterer and a really bad father. But sadly, that's the least of the problems on his list. How about a guy named Matthew, who was one of the 12 disciples? Are you kidding me? I mean, come on, God, you're gonna send Jesus down to earth. He's gonna pick 12 humans that we're gonna all know their names forever. I mean, like you're gonna leave the kingdom in these guys' hands. Don't you think there should be like a pretty decent bar for choosing these 12 guys? Matthew was a cheater, a financial cheater. He was a tax collector who lied and got rich by stealing how about Paul, wrote the majority of our New Testament? He was a persecutor, a killer of Christians because he hated followers of Jesus so much. And I'm thinking, seriously, God? At this point, there's not one human might do a little bit better job than the guy killing all of them? It's who God is. Because before Paul was born. Before Paul became a zealot as a Jew, before Paul imprisoned or killed a Christian, God had already created them to do good works. One of which was to build churches, advance the kingdom, and write part of the Bible. Paul just wasn't in touch with it. And the same is true for you. Don't let the enemy tell you anymore you're not qualified, you're not good enough. And the last group of people I want to talk to are those of us who, well, we might be doing things, but we're not really sure it's a great work. Or you really wish you knew how to do a great work. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and you can tell a little bit just by what I've committed my life to. But I believe that the church on the earth has the greatest mission in all of human history. It's what I believe. Let me tell you why. Because the church is the only thing in all of history that helps people find eternal life and experience abundant life. Nobody else is taking people to heaven. That's what this whole series is about, is being an effective church. And the church, as we've said all along, is a spiritual family with a mission. We are brothers and sisters. We are in this together with the Heavenly Father. Our first big brother died on the cross so that all of us could even be part of this family. It's what we're here to do. We've been given the greatest mission. And I'm going to tell you that we will never make the kind of difference in the world with human tasks that we can with a kingdom task. Matter of fact, people have been president, and we can't name them all. Can anybody in the room right now stand up and name every president. And I bet they all did great works. They did great human works. And what I believe God has called us to do is a great kingdom work. You see, helping people find eternal life and experience abundant life, that's something the church has to offer the world that they can't get from anyone else. And every part of it, no matter how big or no matter how small, on a stage or behind the scenes, is what makes it possible. And that's why I use Nehemiah's story. Because Nehemiah wasn't holding a worship service in the brand new temple. He wasn't the high priest. Nehemiah wasn't the one who built the temple. 
Nehemiah was just building a wall. But his wall made everything possible. Leading a life group where somebody finds the relationship, the friendship, that allows them to hold on to life at a time when they would have otherwise given up. Maybe it's praying for someone to be healed, and they are. Maybe it's leading a child to have faith in God through G-Kids. Maybe it is helping a teenager stay on a path of faith through student youth ministries. Maybe it's helping a non-believer feel that Christians aren't what they thought simply because you stood in a parking lot in the rain and smiled and waved as they drove in. Maybe it's helping a non-believer think Christians aren't as stingy as they think they are because you made them free coffee and handed it to them when they walked in the door. It doesn't matter because it takes all of us together. It takes everything. Matter of fact, the studies have been proven and I've watched it myself. They're never going to get to the end where I invite them to start a relationship with Jesus without everything else. They're not going to stay here if somebody's not helping them with their kids. They're not going to even get out of the car if the person in the parking lot was rude and nasty. It's all of us together as a family. And so this is why as a church, the third part of our vision to make a difference comes primarily to our serve team. And if you were here for part two and we were talking about how we find life primarily through life groups, I told you our life groups are not a program. We don't do them just to say, get into a life group, check a box. But we create life groups because every single one of us needs a community of people where they know our names and they know our stories and we're growing and connecting and healing together. And we talked about that last week. And simply put, we're not all going to go find that on our own. Well, the same is to be said for making a difference in the world. So many of us want to know that our life matters, but we're not sure how to do something. We're saying, what could I do? And again, there are some of us with a real entrepreneurial spirit. It's just a gift that God put in you and, and you, you, you rise up and say, I'm gonna go do such and such. And maybe you, you go and start something. A lot of us say, I, I wanna I wanna make a difference, but I don't know how. And if you believe what I believe, and that is that the church on the earth has the greatest mission, then that's the place where you can make the greatest difference. And so if you're one of those people who's saying, I, I'm just not really sure how or what I would do, then I wanna invite you to the next opportunity you have to go to First Step, because we do something really weird. We don't ever put up a list and say, we'd like you to choose one of these horrible jobs. You know, what happens too often, people go to a church and they say, oh, what can I do? And somebody says, oh, well, you know, you can, you, can, you can take out the trash or you can change diapers. You know, nobody seems to want to do that around here. And as every good Christian does, they say, okay, and they volunteer to be miserable. Because somebody's got to do it. And we think it's our best example of serving like Jesus. But the truth is what we believe is that God's put something in you. And when you connect with what God's put in you and gives you a passion to do, then you're truly gonna make a difference. So we don't tell people what they need. What we do is we help you take a spiritual gifts test and we help you understand how God has made you. And if you've never done that, if you've never tried to figure out your purpose and connect it with how to make a difference, then, then I wanna invite you to First Step where we can help you do that. And I wanna tell you that the reason this is so important is because when you discover what God has put in you, 
And then you begin to do that. Look, matter of fact, many of you have heard the statistics on teenagers who, when they leave the home, they leave their faith. You know the primary thing that keeps them from leaving their faith when they leave the home? It's if they were actively serving in their church when they were growing up. Because what that means is that they had figured out how to make a difference with their lives and their faith. They weren't just going to their parents' church. They weren't just listening to someone else's messages. They had already figured out their life matters. And it's hard to lose that as you get older when you know what God's put in you. Man, the younger you can discover that. Well, you've got a, a friend of mine in, in the church. His name is Troy. I could tell stories all day long. I'm gonna keep this very, very short. But Troy looks like, uh, uh, he is a trainer and he is an athlete. And he looks like a really good trainer and a really good athlete. You know, I mean, like if we were to have like a buff boy contest, he'd be in the top three, right along with me, of course. Anyway. Okay, right along with Bernie. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, Troy and Bernie would be, okay, never mind. But uh, our children's ministry leader felt uh, that, that Troy had something to offer the kids and went up to him one day and said, hey, uh, would you pray about being a part of this? And as he prayed about it, he really felt that he should join the G-Kids team. Now, now, what's crazy about this is that Troy would, even though he's got his own kids, he would, he would tell you, you know, really playing with other people's kids is not something he would really want to do, you know? And uh, that's, that's just not the kind of person most of us would have thought he would. Maybe if you had a football in your hand and you were athletic, he might want to hang out with you, but eh, not so much everybody else's kids. And so at first he was like, I don't know why God's telling me to do this. And he came to me, a little while after he got started on the team and he said, I never would have thought it. I love it. I love the smiles on the kids' faces. And he said, man, you won't believe it. There's this one kid that every week he comes in and when he sees me, he comes running to me and hugs me. He's like, I don't even like hugging people. And he hugs me and I like it. And I don't understand why. I said, well, Troy, there's a good chance you're the primary man in his life. And Troy stayed with the G-Kids team, even though he's not in there teaching people how to lift weights and he's not in there teaching people how to catch footballs, he's figured out there's something else inside of him. And uh, it, it, you saw the story at the beginning of the video where Walt was talking. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people would think, what, Walt, by the way, here's a part of the story you don't know, is a pilot. And a lot of people would think, okay, well, how does a pilot make a difference in the church? What do you do with a pilot? Somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm a pilot. What can I do to serve? Do you guys like drop Bibles off over North Korea out of an airplane? I mean, I can handle that one. Like, well, that's a really cool idea, but nope, we don't do that. So if you're a pilot, just sit on the back row. God can't use you. Not true. So think about it. A pilot loves sitting in a seat surrounded by all kinds of complicated buttons that runs the world for every other person that's just there like this. So Walt found a place at Grace Life to do that. And it's in our booth where one push of a button and our lights go crazy. We're all at his mercy <laughs> at every single moment. Walt could decide that our worship service is a disco or he could decide that we're gonna have a very smooth flight with no turbulence. It is totally up to him. And I could go on and on and on with the stories, but the point is whoever you are and regardless of what you've done, God has put something in you so that you can do a great work. So when the enemy comes whispering, 
Life isn't worth it. It's a waste of time. You should be depressed. You should feel like you are nothing. Just come on down. Let's just chat about your misery for a little bit. I want you to know that you can look at that enemy and say, ha, I'm doing a great work. I got a kid who's going to come hug me and G-Kids every week. I ain't got time for you. I'm doing a great work. Every time a guest drives in here, I, I show them the biggest smile they are ever going to see out there in that parking lot, and I make sure that they have a good time. No, no, I don't have time for you because I'm doing a great work. So today I just want to leave you with a very simple challenge as I was praying over this message. Sometimes ending a message is the toughest part because you want to end with something they're never going to forget. Well, I don't know that I always get that. I believe God gave me this picture. It's cool in our world today to try to leave a small carbon footprint. Come on, all my millennial friends, give me an amen on that one, right? You know, you want to leave the world in a better ecological position than you found it. You know, you, you stay in tree houses when you go on vacation, you know, that kind of thing. You're the person that actually does not throw uh, your towel down on the floor in the hotel. You use it the whole trip because you're trying to save some water. You know, leave a small carbon footprint. And all I'm going to say is, go ahead. Leave the small carbon footprint. But I want to challenge every single one of us. Leave a big kingdom footprint. When you were done with your time, I want you to look back and to see the difference you made. I want you to ever ask the question again, is my life worth it? Your life is worth it. And that's why we've committed to being a church that will do everything we can to help every individual figure out what God has put inside of them and to be using it in a way that they know their life matters. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are such a good God, that when you created us, you weren't going to just treat us like puppets and we're not all exactly alike. And you created this incredible world, a diverse world with people who are so unique to do amazing things for your glory. And God, my prayer for everyone who is uh, listening right now, whether online or in this room, is that by your spirit, you will give them faith to believe you created them for good works, that you will spur them on to believe in boldness. They can step out and do the very things that you have put in them. God, I pray that you will silence the voice of the enemy that has caused so many of your children to just sit and watch life go by. God, make us people who live to leave a big kingdom footprint. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to close today by talking to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. We've been talking about who he is and what he's done all throughout the message, also through communion. Simple truth, he came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross so that his life could pay for your sins. And he was raised by the Father so that that same power could raise you to an eternal life. If you have never exchanged the life you've been living in your own kingdom for the one he has for you, I wanna help you do that right now. Just say something like this to yourself and to God wherever you are. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And today, I want to live for you. I thank you that I'm loved by you. 
thank you that I'm forgiven. And my prayer today is that you will fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.